Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to be here this morning. I hope you are having a great Sunday morning. How many of you are having a great Sunday morning? That is tremendous to hear, all right? I hope you have had a good week as well. Um, I am reminded uh, every, every week when we join together, even as, uh, even as Stan prayed this morning, we all come from different backgrounds. We come in, and you've heard me say this, some of us come in, we're on a high, we're rejoicing, we've had a great week. Other of us, we've come in, we've struggled, right? Something has happened in life. And together we join together, and hopefully we are encouraged together, encouraged together as we join together around the Word of God. We are in a study that we are calling Exodus, and uh, I, hope that, I hope that those of you that have been here, I hope that you are enjoying it. Um, we're looking at it because we believe that the story of the children of Israel as presented in Exodus follows a little bit of our story as well, right? The, the human story. It gives an idea as to where yours and my story is at. Um, they came in, they, they were slaves. As Exodus started, they were slaves in a foreign land. You and I, we were dead in our sins. We were slaves to sin, right? We needed, they needed a deliverer. We need a deliverer. Their deliverer, Moses, was somebody that was an unexpected deliverer. Our deliverer was Jesus Christ. Not that he was unexpected, but the way he came certainly, as the, as the Christmas song would say, certainly seems like a strange way to, serve the, to save the world. And yet that is what he came in and he did. Uh, last week, we looked at the idea that we have a God that redeems us. Our God went through, he, he fought all the gods of, of Egypt. Egypt, a land that, that worshiped over a hundred gods, God takes their, God, our God takes their lowercase g gods on and displays the power of God saying, you will know who I am. He wants the, the nation of Egypt. He wants the Pharaoh of Egypt to be aware who it is that is there, that God is the God of all and he is there. Um, and that is where we come to this week as we come to part four of this series that is called Exodus. And we are so happy to have you here this morning. Um, how about a big round of applause for our band? They did a great job this morning. It was great to have them up here with us again. Right? Um, so, so good to have each one of these individuals. Uh, that, that final song that we sing, that little piano riff, I, I don't know if you guys picked that up, but I certainly enjoy that. It's great, that piano. How about a keyboard? How about if I get modern, up-to-date, right? There's no such thing as a piano. Right? Keyboard. There we go. But uh, so thankful for each one of them and the work that they do, the people at the back uh, that, that make sure that our, everything's up here. Um, they're the ones that keep me online as, as well. Uh, you hear them say that our service is about, a, about an hour. If, if they don't keep me online back there with this right here, we would go like two hours or something like that because I'm kind of like Reed. Give me an open mic and I just keep blah, 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 blah. I'm just repeating what you said, Reed. That's just, I was just saying what you said. But, uh, but anyway, so thankful. So thankful to be part of a church. And I, and I want to encourage you guys, um, even as we hear the story of Aiden this morning and somebody, somebody that comes to Christ, I want to encourage you that, that we believe, one of the principles here is that we believe that found people find people. That is one of the principles of Bridgewater as a church, that found people find people. And I would encourage you, um, if you have a friend that you think uh, would, be, would benefit from coming to, uh, to Bridgewater, or a friend that, that doesn't go to church, but you would want to invite them. We are coming up on one of the best times of the year to invite a friend, to invite somebody to church. People will come to church around Christmas time um, that, that normally would, they, they might say, nah, that's not for me. But we would encourage you, uh, even as we go through the Thanksgiving season, the next two weeks with, uh, with Thanksgiving, um, right into Christmas there, I would encourage you, if you have a friend, Reach out, 
ask them. See if they would come to church with you. Maybe it's a family member, a co-worker, whoever that may be, but we'd encourage you to invite somebody to come on out. Um, as we get back to our message today, as we get back to this Exodus series, how many of you in here are optimists? How many of you are optimists? Only a handful of us? Are you kidding me? That's pathetic. So the rest of you are realists, I guess, huh? You're the realists, right? How many of us optimists call those realists pessimists? There we go, all right? Now, now I got something a little bit there, right? Um, I know, I'm going to get in trouble with those sort of comments there and everything like that. Um, I, I don't know which you are. I'm a, uh, I'm, I, I consider myself an optimist, right? It is sunny and 70 every day, except for in Broome County. We can go indoors, though, I guess, and that's, that's the sun. There we go. Um, and that's our sun for nine months of the year right there. Anyway, before I digress and start complaining, because that's what we're going to be talking about today, I think within each one of us, there is this, there's, there's this notion that we can be, even for the optimist, we can be really good critics, right? And when we're good critics, it's not that we're criticizing anything, it's that we're just trying to help somebody improve something, correct? We're really good at helping others improve. As a matter of fact, if you're anything like me, I, I even at times, I could help God improve, right? Any of you have that issue? No, no, you, you don't want to admit it, but I'm willing to bet deep down at times, you're there like, God, why are you doing this? God, why is this occurring? God, what is going on here? And in those moments, what are we doing? We're critiquing God, and we're there like, God, maybe I can help you out a little bit. I want you to know we, we come by that naturally. As a matter of fact, we come by blame uh, naturally. It's part of the sin nature. It's part of what caught us, right? Uh, think about this. Um, Adam, um, I have said this before, but Adam, when, when sin occurred in the garden, what was Adam's first response? Do, does anybody remember? Yeah, you know what? That's better. I guess I've got to get to a second, right? He's ashamed of what happened, and his response to God when he talks to God is, the woman that you gave me, right? The woman that you gave me, God, that's why I did this. And you and I, we, we come by that naturally. And this morning, we're going to be taking a look in the book of Exodus at a group of people that, that they, they, they become really good at what? They become good at complaints, they can become good at realizing that, listen, life isn't going the way that it should, and I, and I start to complain. Now, you and I, we have good reasons when we complain, all right? I, I know that of you. Why? Because I know that of me. The only time I complain is when it's justified, is when it's reasonable. Now, other people, when I hear them complain, they're really just complainers, and that's the way they are. Anybody else notice that? All right, so, so there's a handful of you that are, that are with me on that. But God is at work in our lives, and hopefully this morning as we go through this passage a little bit, we can, we can, we can take a little bit of a look at ourselves and, and see where it is that we come in, see where it is that we fall short. Maybe, maybe, maybe it would be best if we, if we took some lessons from that great theologian, um, Tim McGraw. Anybody else uh, realize him as a great theologian? Well, what did he say? When you get the chance to live like you were dying, what happens? Your, your life changes, right? When he realized, when, when he sings a song, live like you were dying, when he realized that, that life was, as he sings that song, um, when life was coming difficult, he looked at life with a new perspective. 
And it changed the way he thought. It changed the way he believed. It changed the way he acted. He went skydiving. Who in the world does that, right? All of a sudden, your life changes when you realize what's important. And maybe for us, sometimes that's, that's what we need in our life, right? Just a little bit of a readjustment, just a little bit of a reassurance as to what is important. So hopefully this morning, as we look through this story of Exodus, it helps refocus us, get us refocused back in our lives, that we do have a God that is there. And in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of struggles, in the midst of life that comes at us and hits us at the ways that we want, don't always want it to, we have a God that we can be thankful and that we can celebrate and we can say, hey, I went skydiving. I even rode on a bull named Fu Manchu, right? Listen to it later. You'll enjoy it. The great theologian, Tim McGraw. Anyway, Exodus, we are going to take a look. Exodus, we're going to pick up this morning. We're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 11. And last week, this is where we were going, but I, I want to take a little bit of a back. I want to jump back into Exodus chapter 11 because we just, I just want to take a look at something that happens here. All right, so last week we talked about the very fact that the nation of Israel comes out of Egypt and they are delivered from slavery and it's God that brings them out. Um, God brings the plagues. And with this final plague, all right, the final plague was the death angel that came through. They, the Egyptians and the Pharaoh, they say, get out. We are done. We no longer want you here. But as we go back, I want to take a look at something that took place in this passage of Scripture that we did not look at last week. All right, now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here, and when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. And that's important for us today for what I want us to look at here. Because articles of silver and gold, that is what they are going to ask the people to do, all right? That's what Moses is to tell his people, the Israelites to do. Uh, the Lord had made, the passage continues, I'd made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people, through this whole process, through all these plagues, the nation of Israel, all right, or excuse me, they're not a nation yet, but the children of Israel, all right, these slaves that are there, they have become somewhat popular, all right, and Moses is, is popular with, the, with Pharaoh's officials. They look at him and see the power that he possesses. As we look on towards the end of this, we jump all the way down to chapter 12, verse 31, and this is what it says, this is what it says about that. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses, all right, so this is the death angel has come, all right, so we've gone through the whole process of this last plague, all right, where the nation of Israel, where the children of Israel, they had had to put the blood on their door, they had eaten that Passover meal, and they are ready to go now, all right? And during the night, once they realized that death has occurred through Egypt, the firstborn of, everyone, of, of everybody has passed away, they, they, there has been death. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said to them, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go, and also bless me. It's interesting right there that Pharaoh asks for this, please bless me as well. I'm the one that has completely brought difficulties on in this situation, but also at the same time, please bless me. The, the passage continues, the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So they're saying, Israel, get out of here. We want all the Israelites out. Get out. 
we've seen all these plagues, and this last one is more than we can bear. So the people took their dough uh, before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders um, in, the need, in the kneading troughs, wrapped in clothing. So they're leaving as quickly as they can. The Israelites did as Moses had instructed them and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for. And so they plundered the Egyptians. I want us to stop right there and notice this just for a minute, that in this process of the nation of, of the children of Israel leaving slavery, getting out of the country of Egypt, and, and going away, God has been in the process of moving his people out. He is building a people for himself, and now he's taking them and saying, you will go. Moses, you are going to act as the deliverer, and you are going to take my people out, and you are going to worship me. And as he does this, what do they do? In the process of the way they leave, they plundered the Egyptians. Now remember, they have been slaves for over 400 years. They have nothing except what slaves are allowed to have. They do have their own herds. They do have their own possessions. But what happens when, a, when somebody gets plundered? It's usually through some sort of a battle in that day, right? A nation would go in and destroy another nation. What would they do? They would go in and they would plunder. They would take anything of value. There is no battle here that the people have fought, but rather they have plundered the Egyptians. Why? Merely because God has made it his desire, and he turned the Egyptians favorably towards them, and they give everything to them, and in so doing, these people plunder them, and they leave. Now, why is that a big deal? Because as you are headed out as a group of slaves, as you are headed out as a people that is going to become a nation, you, uh, what did I say? They have nothing except what is theirs, but now all of a sudden, they have some wealth, they have some provisions, they have some stuff that they are taking with them as they go out into the desert. God provides for us as well. And there are ways that God provides for us even today. And I want us to think, see, it may not be the plundering of somebody else, but God is a God who provides, and he provided for his people there, and he provides for you and me today. And in a world and in a culture that is that can certainly seem anti-God so, so often in our lives, so many times in our lives, we have a God that has provided us his word. Why? Because he wants us to, that to help us grow. We take a look at the world that we live in, and what do we need? We need help. We need wisdom. We need insight into how it is that we are to live in this world. God provides that for us. He provides us his Holy Spirit. To help us know God. We are given the Holy Spirit of God. Now, for some of us, we, we, we've grown up in churches so long where the Holy Spirit, where the works of the Holy Spirit are played down because you got to be careful. If, if you let the Holy Spirit get in you, suddenly you'll be raising your hands in church. You'll be waving around. You'll be dancing. So we got to be cautious. We got to keep him a little bit calm, right? We can't, right? I make no claim to be an expert at understanding the great work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but sometimes, sometimes we need to be cautious because sometimes I think we do quench the Holy Spirit in our own lives because we, I've got to be formal and I've got to be proper and nothing wrong with any of that. That does not quench the Holy Spirit. Please understand that. But sometimes we think the Holy Spirit, uh, sometimes I feel the nudging of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we say, I, I can't do that. 
The Holy Spirit is alive. What we have received, um, Paul tells the church of Corinthians, what we have received is not the spirit of this world, all right? Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that works within us so that we can understand what it is that God has given us. Remember what I mentioned earlier about that complaining? We're going to come back to that a a little bit later, right? The Holy Spirit's within us so that we don't have to do that. But, 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 but I'm good at that. I know. Let's let the Holy Spirit work in our lives and change us, right? And make it. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. You know what? Sometimes the fruit of my Spirit is, it seems to be the opposite of all those. How does that work? The Spirit needs to be at work within me. We are given not only God's Word, through, by the way, not only the written Word, but the Word, Jesus Christ. We are given His Holy Spirit, and also we have a church body right around us. I hope you're thankful for the church body that you have around you, right? We have a church body that helps push us towards righteousness. For a number of you, that comes through in small groups that you're involved in. And I encourage you, again, if you were not a part of that, we still want you to be part of groups. Why? Because we believe that that is where you can start to see growth occurs, where you can just, you know what? Sometimes other people need you. Right? And sometimes you can spur others on. We encourage you. Why? As a church body, we can move, we can push, we can encourage one another on towards righteousness. You see, God provides. Here in the book of Exodus, God provided for his people in a miraculous and an incredible way just by allowing them to plunder Egypt in that manner. However, God still provides for us. And be thankful for that. Allow him, allow his spirit to work in your life. Our story continues as the people come out and the people leave Egypt and they get out of Egypt. And we're going to jump ahead to Exodus chapter 14 as we continue forward in this, in this scripture here. All right. And in Exodus chapter 14, this is what the Lord said to Moses. The people are out. They're now not, they are now out and they are ready to go and they're ready to get into this land. They're ready to move on, right? Hey, we're out of Egypt. We're free. Let's get moving. Let's take on. And then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahiroth. All right, I hope I say that well. Um, between Migdal and the sea, they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zaphon. As they go out, they are gonna, God gives them instructions as to what they are to do, and look what is still taking place uh, as he continues forward. Pharaoh said, or Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. I want to remind you that through this process, God has been about this process of saying, I will gain glory for myself. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And even though they're out of Egypt, God says there's still one more thing that I have planned for them. There is still one more thing that I have in store for them. And I want you, as you go out of the nation, this is where you're going to go. You're going to stop. You're going to turn here. And the nation, the Egyptians, Pharaoh is going to think, ooh, they're wandering. They don't know where they're going. Let's go back and get them. Let's go back and grab them. Let's bring them back. Um, Remember, the Exodus occurred around 1446 B.C., and I threw, a, I threw a map up here just because I, I don't know if this helps you, but if this might help a handful of you, it at least gives you at least an idea as to what is going. So they are leaving, um, they are leaving up here from where Ramses is, and they are going to come down. And as they come out, most people think that they um, cross here at the northern part of what is the Red Sea. That's traditional thought. All right, there are others that believe that they actually cross down here on this location here, and that Mount Sinai is over here on this side. Um, 
Either way, I, I don't know how they go through the study and how they understand all. Well, the one thing that I do find amazing is when Moses penned the book of Exodus, he gives the clear detail as to where it is, right? The people of that day would know where it is, those names of the places that they are. Hey, just so you know, if you want to read, this is what happened, this is where it occurred, and this is how it left. It's, it's just with us all this time later and where they want, where they were and where the crossing of the sea was, we're not really sure, but they come out of the land of Egypt and Pharaoh is going to pursue them. And when Pharaoh decides to pursue them, this is what it says. As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, uh, as, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians. Pharaoh has decided, I'm going to come after them. I am going to chase them down. And he sends his choice chariots out to get them. And he's there like, let's go grab these people. Let's bring them back because we need them here doing what it is that they do here. And, and, and there the Egyptians were marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord, the children of Israel. They're terrified. They've come out of Egypt. They look back and they look over their shoulder and they see what's taking place. And as a result, the Egyptians are coming after them and they're scared. And what did they do? They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. This is where I come back to that part about um, some of us, we, we tend to complain, right? And I think they have a good reason for complaining here. They're out in the desert. They have a sea in front of them. We've left, all right? And they're like, what are we going to do? We've got this army coming in behind us. We don't have anything to fight with. We've never practiced as an army. We've got nothing. What's going to happen to us? However, th this is the generation of people that have just seen God do amazing wonders in the land of Egypt. And yet their memory is so short. Their memory is so quick to forget that they turn around and they see the Egyptians coming after them and they're scared again. How many of you have that short of a memory? I do, right? You can see the provision of God yesterday, and yet you can say, whoa, 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 what about today? That was the children of Israel right there. Moses answered the people, as I do all this complaining, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Moses, I, I'm not certain how it has worked in Moses, in the life of Moses, but one of the things that I've realized here is Moses, his trust, his belief in his God has grown, hasn't it? From that man that looked at the burning bush and said, yeah, God, you got the wrong person. It's not me. Go get somebody else. He's now sitting here and telling the children of Israel, saying, listen, Watch today. God's going to do something amazing. God's going to do something wonderful. It says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. You see, we have a God that doesn't move us from real life. He doesn't take us out of real life. But we have a God that will sustain us through it. Right? Aren't there things in your life, times in your life, moments in your life, periods of your life that you can look back on and say, man, I, I wish I'd never gone through that. Maybe, maybe I should reword that this way. Maybe we should say, I, I would never choose to go through that again. 
But the way God delivered, the way God worked is amazing. And I'm thankful for his provision. You see, this, chill, this group, the, these people, these children of Israel that are coming out, they are getting to see firsthand the provision, the strength, the power of the God that they serve. You see, not only is our, do we not have a God, the God that doesn't remove us from real life, do you, do you know we have a God that is for us? Sometimes we're brought up in this idea that we think that God is against us, but that's not the case. We have a God that is for us. You have a God that is for you. Now, you might say, well, yeah, God's for me, and whatever it is that I do, he has to be for me with that. That that might be a little bit too far to go with that, right? God isn't on board with every choice that you ever make, nor does he have to be for you for every choice that you make in your life. But we do have a God that is for us. And Paul even says that as well in the New Testament. In Romans, he writes and says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us. What's the comment there? We have a God that is for us. You have a God that is for you. Who can be against us? The children of Israel back at the Red Sea, they needed to realize this. And as they came through the sea, um, as a matter of fact, they get there and the nation of the Egyptian army, they come up behind them and there's water and Moses goes out and he parts the waters and they march right through on dry land and they see that all cover back over on the Egyptian army and they are destroyed. As a matter of fact, our Bible even tells us that they saw the bodies on the, that came up on the land. Um, then Moses, as we continue on, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. So after they get through that, after they go through that, he leads them from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. Um, for, for three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. Three days in the desert without water. What do we have? We have a problem again, right? When they came to Mara, uh, when they came to Mara, they said they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place was called Mara. So the people rejoiced because it was giving God another opportunity for them to see God's provision. Oh, nuts. I memorized the wrong portion. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? And Moses cried out to the Lord. All right. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put, uh, and put them to the test. He said, if you will listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near water. God provided for them again. In the midst of their need, in the midst of their, in the midst of their greatest needs, water, we're in a desert, water, water, where is it? God provides. What happens next? The whole Israelite community, in, verse, in uh, Exodus 16, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam, and came to the desert of Shin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So he's given a detail as to what it is. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 
The Israelites said, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, I know that if you're a parent, you probably somewhere along the line have had a child that would say something like this, right? I'm starving to death right? I know that some of you are aware that there are some people that would behave like this. Not you, right? Not you. You would never do this. But there are some people that behave like this, right? And suddenly, what are they? They're out in a desert. They're without food. And what are they saying? Thanks, Moses. You've brought us out here to die. How many times have they said this? This is the third time already that they're proclaiming. Moses, are you just bringing us out here? Weren't there enough graves back in Egypt? You got to bring us out, to, out into the desert to die? Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare uh, what they bring in and what is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see, he continues on, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the people, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. What is taking place in this whole passage of Scripture right here? It's the nation of Israel. It's the children of Israel coming out. And without food, what are they saying? We don't have anything. And yet God says, you know what? I'm going to provide for heaven, from heaven for you. In the morning, you can go out and you can collect. And in the evening, I'm going to drain down quail and you're going to have meat. You're going to have so much food to eat that you will have more than enough. You guys think that you were provided for back in Egypt? Here, I will provide for you out here and I will care for you. What does he do? He just gives them instructions. Don't go out. Don't, uh, don't, take, of it, uh, don't take more than you need. All right? And on, on the sixth day, go out and take twice as much because you're not going back out on the seventh to collect. I'm going to provide for you enough. Why? Because that seventh, that's the Sabbath. That's the day of rest. And, and, Aaron, was, uh, and Aaron was speaking uh, to the whole Israelite community. They looked towards the desert. And there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, just think about this. You are a group of people. You are a nation. You are children of God. You are out in this desert and you see, the, the, you see a cloud appear and God speaking at that very moment. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. God is in the process of making sure that he is known. That evening, quail came and covered the entire camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. God provided. God provides blessings that I don't deserve. And God provides blessings in your life that you don't deserve.
right? He comes and he provides for us in ways that we, we get nervous about, right? And we are, we're not that far removed from the children of Israel. We are not that far removed in our grumbling, but Lord, I need this, but Lord, but, 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 but. And we can start to complain and that can become who we are as a people and we don't want to be that way. We want to be the opposite of that. We want to be those that realize that we have a God that is there, that we can serve, that, that our God provides and cares for us. Take a look back at that list of what he provides for us, right? He provides his word, his Holy Spirit, the church body that pushes us toward, and he provides us with so much more. But you see, not only does God provide blessings that I don't deserve, he fights the battles that I can't fight. You see, my God fights the battles that I cannot fight. You see, there is a weakness within me. There is a sin bent within me that God says, let me take that and let me help you. Let me lead you. He tells me, Paul tells us that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will provide a way out. As I mentioned before, his spirit's at work. His spirit is alive within us. And his spirit, what are the fruits of the spirit? They are love, joy, peace, tenderness, compassion. God is at work in our lives. And yet sometimes, sometimes I can be more like the children of Israel and not believe that my God provides for me and not believe that he fights battles that I can't fight, that he takes care of problems that I can't take care of. How about us? Children of Israel, they, they doubted, right? They get out there and they doubt. And, and as, I, as I said, they have good reason to doubt. You're in a desert, there's no water. I'm getting kind of nervous, right? You're in a desert, there's no food. I'm getting kind of nervous, right? We're in a desert. There's an army behind us and a sea in front of us. I'm nervous about what I'm going to do. We doubt. We question. God, are you really there? Are you really good? And we complain. Right? Those can be the things that take over our lives. And yet, what good would God desire? God would desire that we replace that doubt with trust. He would desire that instead of questioning always that we follow. He would desire that instead of complaining that what do we do, we, we give thanks in the midst of struggles, in the midst of difficulties. We have a God that is there, a God that is able to change our lives. Does it make all the problems in your life go away? No, no it doesn't. Children of Israel are still living in a desert. As a matter of fact, they're, they're going to get tired of quail they're going to get tired of the manna that God provides. But God was there with them. And he was providing for them. And God is with you. And he will provide. And he will walk with you. You see, our need is for our God. And I don't know where it is in your life, where this falls on you. But I'm willing to bet that each one of us could use a refresher on giving thanks. It's one of the reasons that Thanksgiving is such a great time of year, right? We all know to be thankful throughout the year. And yet when it comes to this season of life, we're reminded to say thanks. Maybe in a few more times, maybe on a few more occasions. Why? Because we can become individuals who tend to complain 
who tend to question, who tend to doubt our God. And our God is there saying, hey, trust, follow, give thanks. Be encouraged with your walk, in your walk with Jesus this week. Pray with me if you would, please. God, as we close our time together this morning, I say thank you, Lord, for each one that is here. And God, thank you for the reminder from your scriptures. You have preserved these for us through the ages so that we can learn from them. And Lord, one of the amazing things is I'm not certain that I am so far from them in the sense of the way that I can think, in the sense of the way that I can believe, in the sense of the way that I can act. And God, I would believe in a group like this, there are others like that. And Lord, I just ask that you would help change our perspective. Lord, don't allow us to quench that Holy Spirit that is at work within us, but allow us to let him live in us. Allow him to let us, to allow us to let him allow the fruit to grow within us of love, joy, peace, gentleness, compassion. Lord, help us in our lives. God, I pray that you might go with each one here this morning. I ask that you would encourage them in this week that you would build them up. God, we say thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name, giving him the thanks that he is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine through, the, through him, through the power of Jesus Christ that is at work in us and in this church. God, go with us, I pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song.